There's a plaque outside of Stoughton Hall on the campus of Lehigh University that reads, Lest we forget the meaning of her death, that we must protect one another so that her life will not have been in vain. It's a place that over 37 years ago, a crime of opportunity occurred that resulted in the rape and murder of first-year student Jean Cleary. And sadly, it's labeled a crime of opportunity because another student named Joseph Henry took advantage of a series of unlocked, propped-open doors to enter what he believed to be an empty room for him to rob. Unfortunately, Jean was in her room asleep at the time and was suddenly awakened from her sleep when she heard someone in her room. She struggled with Henry, but was unable to fend off the attack and was eventually killed. Her parents, Connie and Howard Cleary, were successful years later starting the nonprofit Cleary Center for Security on Campus, which led to new detailed crime reporting mandates required of the nation's institutions. And it gained national attention, and the family had Congress in the palm of their hand, and they said, we want a campus crime reporting bill. From MC1R Studios, this is Higher Education Renaissance with Peter Lake. If you think that Cleary is just compiling annual ASR, annual security report, uh, things have changed. Can't just tick the box, get the report out, move to next year. You're going to have to demonstrate to the department if they call you into account as to do you have a culture of compliance, particularly one that's shooting to prevent and remediate problems. And if you don't, the checkbook might come out. You know, having worked with victims' families, I did not work with the Clarys on this, but very aware of what they were doing, very similar to other victims' advocate groups. One of the things a lot of victim advocate groups want to do is raise awareness. want people to realize that this is not a small issue. People get hurt. So the Campus Crime Reporting Bill, Clary Act, was born. The basic framework of the Clary Act requires that any institution who receives federal funding must file an annual safety report, or ASR, by October 1st each year. The report must include crime statistics for the preceding three years and any efforts that are being undertaken to improve campus safety. The ASR must also include any policy statements regarding a host of other crime-oriented categories and prevention activities. On the feeling, I think the campuses were ultra safe. This was a job you could retire into or you could have more of an ersatz force to manage because you weren't looking at an environment that called for high security, you know, not like the Pentagon or Department of Justice building that was thinking. That that was pretty typical. A lot of the we've talked about this before. A lot of the chiefs of police reported to a business officer and had no access to senior leadership that was meaningful. You know, they were the security people and thought, and, and I think often looked down on and part of the chain. They weren't thought of as student affairs people or, and I never agreed with that, but I saw that a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. The Cleary Act in the early years was definitely a concern for the public safety teams on campus. And of course, the student affairs folks who provided their reports to security. As long as the enrollment didn't take a hit, Cleary concerns didn't go beyond those departments, I would think. 
But Peter, has it changed much over the years? I would, I have a tendency to believe the focus these days on prevention and compliance issues has evolved this particular mandate. Since then, it's been amended a few times to include things that look a lot more, you use the right term, more prevention-oriented. So you have emergency and timely warnings. There are requirements that you report on various efforts to do prevention work. For most people and for most compliance purposes, it's it's been kind of a snoozer. It's it's something that a handful of us pay a lot of attention to, but a lot of people don't. We we know from statistics over the years that a lot of people haven't been reading Clary reports. It's been debated that individuals are so overwhelmed with information, such as what's required in the Clery Act reporting, that much of it is useless or even incomprehensible. And therefore, if parents or students do read it, they're apt to miss pieces of information that might be important. From time to time, there have been technical compliance issues that have come up. They've generally not resulted in large fines. And the you know, perfect example was uh, Virginia Tech got fined. 50 something thousand dollars after the shooting. And people were outraged. And frankly, I was not pleased with the department's response on that one because there was absolutely no mention of the fact that LaVue Labrescu sacrificed his life to save students. And I thought, you know, okay, if you're going to find them, you know, that's what parking people do is they find you. But you could at least have the humanity to recognize the sacrifice that was made by some people to save lives that actually worked. But, but that fine was, symbolic. And and I almost wondered if the department sort of felt like they had to do something because it was such a big incident. This is why I contacted you is very recently, the Department of Education has decided to go into super fine mode. I want to pause here for a moment because Peter stating that he reached out to me brings up a question that many of you have asked about why we don't publish our shows on a more standardized podcast schedule. And the answer is simple. It's because we decide to record only when an important event or issue is unfolded, an event that may certainly have impact on higher education. So when Peter contacted me, it was in reference to the number and amount of fines coming from the Department of Education recently. And therefore, this is today's topic. And, and we are now seeing stuff that rocks the house in a big way. Grand Canyon just got fined $37 million. You know, and you're talking an order of magnitude larger than fines that we've been seeing. Now, the other one, which has got everyone's attention, including the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, is Liberty also up for another staggering fine. Now, we, you know, there was a leaked report, numbers were thrown around. We don't know what that's going to look like in the end, but it, it's hard to believe that Liberty's not going to get something with a, a big kick in the rear end and a whopping fine that's well beyond what we'd ever seen before millions and millions of dollars. So, Peter, let's connect the dots here. Grand Canyon has had a faith mission, so has Liberty. Grand Canyon has sought to be both profit and nonprofit and has gone back and forth with the department over that. Um, and when it attempted nonprofit status, the department kicked back and said, we don't believe you. We think you're a profit. So you're seeing suspicion about for-profit operations. Now, what allegedly what they did was made mistakes in their graduate programs and didn't deliver what they promised the students. This is what the department's position is. Seems like a lot for those situations. It's interesting that that itself could generate a $37 million fine. 
you know, you're not talking about widespread allegations against the undergraduate population. And most of what the focus on is graduate school. That was very fascinating in itself. It, it kind of fits with some of the new gainful employment regulations that they promulgated. You, this is a department that's suspicious of for-profit entities and entities that connect with for-profit activities. You're, you're seeing that very clearly to me anyway. And the fine is getting everybody's attention. So it's basically saying, you know, we really mean this. And the faith thing has been interesting, too, because we know that the department may have itself some brewing issues with enforcing some of the Title IX policies that may come out, which will be connected to Clary in the faith sector. And of course, they have acknowledged that faith institutions can have exemption under Title IX, but they also have Supreme Court rulings on that level. And I think that... Um, you know, people notice that these big fines just happen to be leveled in a certain sector and liberty being, of course, very visible one in that sector. So we'll see, you know, what we believe we've seen in a leaked report is that the department was concerned with persistent underreporting and perhaps a culture of noncompliance of some kind. But I want to generalize this because the department has been telling people this, that the sincerity in the pumpkin patch matters. What's the culture? What's the intention? And I think this department is very concerned that some people fluff off compliance obligations and don't take them seriously in a, at a culture level. And that when they see that systemically in an academic culture, they now have shown an intention to out it and punish it. So is DOE another one of those federal departments that will be making future decisions based on a political bias? Or should I say based on whatever party is in power? I, I can't say this clear enough that this transcends political dimension. Remember, Betsy DeVos crucified <laughs> Michigan State. And, we're, and I think we're going to see something very similar from the Biden administration. So, you know, Obama, Trump, Biden, it, you're, you've got the same basic energy out of DOE, which is if we see that we feel that you aren't committed to protecting students and reporting, you know, we'll overlook technical violations to a certain extent. But when it's part of a culture, you can expect a report that you'll never forget and a fine to go with it. So how do these fines compare to years past? I've, I've got to say that the kinds of fines that they're handing out now are starting to look like the types of fines that you potentially see in banking and regulatory industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is which just I think is throwing people for a loop. You know, they're seeing a level of fining that's going up an order of magnitude and deliberately so to to levels that would be more consistent with commercial, you know, securities, regs, violations, these kinds of things. And this now gets the attention of boards. The management of higher education is being put to the test. And former President Trump just announced, let's have a, a free national university and tax other institutions to have that. And he's proposing a management restructuring of the first order. The Trump proposal that Peter's referring to is to develop a nationwide online university that would directly compete with the traditional academic structure that's been and still is in existence today. And although it's labeled a political statement, the Trump plan does resonate with many Americans who feel that higher education today is too costly, teaching with too much political influence, and creating a softer next generation of students. 
you'd have a federal government education entity competing directly with the rest of the industry, state and non-state institutions, and taxing them to do it if that happened. I don't think that proposal is terribly likely to come to fruition, but what it signals is the same energy is what's happening at the top. Do we trust institutional leadership on these issues? And how likely are they to collect that $37 million as an example? You can fight it, but you have to be careful when you fight fines. It can be like quicksand. You can get in deeper. I don't think that the department will anxiously walk back the number. And and then you have to realize that there's cost associated with that, too. You know, I'm aware that Liberty, for example, has gone out and hired an expensive law firm to do an internal investigation, and that'll cost a lot of money. No, it's it's um, the number that the government throws at you is just one. And then, it, you know, these things can be litigation bait, too. So if you feel like, well, hey, you know, I think something happened to me at one of these schools and it wasn't reported. I'm going to call the local lawyers and see if I have a lawsuit. So it tends to bring in collateral issues. So I'm wondering about something, which is the new Title IX regs, which are yet to be released and long overdue. Is DOE backing off Title IX? The department has been enforcing Title IX, related to Clary, of course, uh, with a clear eye towards remedying cultural issues. And in fact, the department in the most recent drop that I saw used a word that I've been using in some of my training, talking about impacted individuals. In other words, you can't just resolve a problem between two people that have a dispute. You've got to think about who's been impacted by this and make sure the remedies go there. And this, I think, is the future that the department sees is they they see more required culture, climate work, and prevention type efforts to try to reduce risks to students. And I think it's going to become a bigger part of the regulatory enforcement and the culture of it. Uh, this is it's a, new, a new landscape. And, and let me add something to that, too, which I think is actually really important, is that Betsy DeVos broke ranks to some extent when she fined Michigan State with a report that called people out specifically. And what I'm detecting that may happen with Liberty is that you may get a report that either calls people out specifically or, shall we say, is readily identifiable as to whom they are referring. And the idea that this isn't just an institutional scarlet letter, but that individuals may get the scarlet letter personally, that is, that's a big step and in some ways as motivating as any fine. Because that tags you then, you know, for the rest of your career. Oh, you're the person in the report from the Department of Ed. And it's more consistent with how court cases operate. Because court cases, you have witnesses and defendants. And so you're going to see a lot of specific recitation about Eric Seaborg did this or Eric didn't do that. So you get used to the fact that if you're in a court case, they're going to call you out by name. But historically, when the department has find a recipient, they find the recipient, and they tend to talk fairly abstractly about this was done, this wasn't done, but they don't say, Eric did this or didn't do that. But that's where things are starting to change. You know, we're starting to get, this is getting a little more personal. And people are going to notice that along with the big money number. They're going to think, wait a minute, you know, this can be, and I think this will definitely get the attention of presidents and boards. 
you made statement earlier and of course kind of brought us thinking back to history, but the fact that this has gone over Republican White Houses, Democratic White House, it it, yeah. it it doesn't matter. It just seems like it, it almost seems like a third party in a sense. You know, it's you've got this force in there from what you're indicating. It's not gonna it's not gonna let up based on an election change or anything like that. You know, the Supreme Court might jump in. We talked about that Loper Bright case that's out there, and they might trim the sales on the Department of Education, but it it's not going to stop the root energy, which I think will find its way no matter what, is that most Americans just don't trust higher education. You know, when you see violence like with Gene Cleary, you know, rape and murder in your residence hall, I don't care if you're red, blue or purple, everybody's going to jump up about that. We're getting a message from some states that some Americans in some states support abortion rights, perhaps contrary to what the Supreme Court has iterated recently. And are we going to see the Department of Ed react to those numbers and say, we're, when we put our Title IX reproductive freedom rules out, we may start fining people if they don't come into compliance. And so you want my prediction on the big 2024 fine? It's going to be reproductive rights. So my question now is, do you think the American public is taking their concerns about higher education to the ballot box? I can see you can see it lining up. A Democrat administration could say these are numbers that we can use as part of a political strategy in 2024. Governance and management are the next big thing. So getting back to DOE. Can they keep up with this pace that they've now set with the amount of fines that they've now put out there? You know, one of the things that they're struggling with with Title IX is there were so many comments that overwhelmed the staff. They don't, it take, they have to read all of them and comment on them. And it's just an overwhelming exercise. So I think that you've got both a, a department that wants to move forward, but may not have the staffing to do everything they will. So, you know, one way you get attention is you draw attention to what you can. I think 2024 brings an emphasis on prevention and with that mentality of gathering information, acting on the information, and most of all, sincerity in the pumpkin patch, demonstrable sincerity, as opposed to the the low vibe of compliance, which Eric, you know from your ERM work, is let's just check the box and get this off my desk. Um, I mean, the lowest vibe is let's uh, let's make it look like things are good when they're not. You know, the circus is great, but actually... The clowns are quitting and the elephants are angry and they want something better from us. Intentionality. They want us, they want us to care about our customers and this stuff. And they want to see us putting that kind of energy and those kind of people towards those kind of tasks. And I hate to keep harping on this issue of lawyers, but isn't this where we would benefit as an industry in higher education by having more legal people on campus? When the big issue with your industry is trust by your consumers and the society that supports you, there's a paradox of bringing lawyers in because it would appear that if you want to build trust, the last thing you do is lawyer up. I mean, that's, you know, that often goes exactly. But see, I come from a different time and space. Gandhi was a lawyer. Bobby Kennedy was a lawyer. And, you know, what did Bobby Kennedy say? He said, you know, the cure for the mindless menace of violence is education. He always, I mean, here's a lawyer. His name is on the Justice Department. He was preaching compassion. Uh, Dr. King was not a lawyer. He should have been. He, 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 the guy had a natural instinct for the spirit of the law. And that's what we have to reclaim and connect to the spirit of higher education, the best of both worlds together. I think in 2024, this is what Americans are going to be looking for from their higher ed institutions. Can you lead us to the promised land? 
Well, it's been interesting to hear your insights, Peter, as always, on the what I'll call the three C's, Cleary, Compliance, and Cost. You know, it's been a year since we've been together. So our next episode, we'll pick up with a show that launched these podcast episodes one year ago. A recap of 2023 and what is ahead in 2024. So we hope you will tune in and listen. And as always, your feedback is greatly important to both of us. Thanks again, and have a great rest of the year. Higher Education Renaissance is produced by Eric Seaborg. Technical production by MC1R Studios. Artwork by Jinji Productions. We welcome your comments or program recommendations for future episodes at eric.seaborg at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Next time we meet, come and know me better, man. (laughs) 